The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Women's Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericawomen.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management. Are you ready for the new wave of change that is emerging in our world today? What does it look like? How will it reshape our collective future? We see more and more women are making a rapid rise to the top, taking over leadership of their countries, influencing social and political decisions on a global scale. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine with host Gina Lazenby. This is a movement that is putting the feminine values of compassion and collaboration back into the economy and our world. Everyone and everything is being affected. Our conversation starts now. Here is your host, Gina Lazenby. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine. I'm your host, Gina Lazenby, and I'm delighted to be a champion for this fascinating conversation. Not only are women rising in the world today, but feminine values are also being increasingly expressed more openly in men and women. Last week, I had a great conversation with three men as we explored the changing nature of masculinity. My thanks to Man Whisperer, Kenny DeCruz, who shared some of the feelings expressed by men who join his male-only gatherings with unique insights for us women. My meeting in Belgium with the American living in Paris, David Brower, revealed his view on how French culture makes the expression of masculinity different in France different to his native America. And thirdly, my thanks to Nick Haynes, founder of the Vitality Test, sharing the values that he's instilled in his three sons to help them navigate better the changing world that we all find ourselves in. If you missed the show, then do check out our Rise of the Feminine radio Facebook page, or you can hit the podcast button on your smartphone and search for Gina Lazenby. Now, this week's show will have a very different flavor as I present a report from Rome, Italy. I was there at the end of September for five days, joining almost 800 other women at the WIN conference. That's the Women's International Networking Event and the 19th conference that its founder, Kristin Envig, has presented. I actually anticipated doing just one report from the show, but with so many great interviews, I I couldn't leave out. I will do another report next week. It was an incredible event, ambitious, creative, and a courageous initiative that's empowered thousands of women in business in the last two decades. A theme of the event was called Leading the Way with Beauty, Connection, and Confidence, and we had a most upbeat, unusual start. We were reminded of the importance of creating a space of connection and openness, It's not just important what we say, but how we make others feel and how we resonate with them. So the conference opening was about creating a powerful resonance in the room. Just listen to this. Each of us having an African drum provided on our seats and all of us drumming and creating a fantastic atmosphere.
conference host, Kristin Envig, was introduced by the man who led the drumming, and he said that the event was not just about women, but about finding the feminine in all of us. You'll hear about that in the interviews I have for you today from the wonderful speakers and experts, men and women. The VIP guest who opened the proceedings was the mayor of Rome, Virginia Raggi, the first female mayor of a city with a thousand-year history and a young woman too, only 38 years old. Truly representing a new generation of leaders, many of whom were among the delegates and sponsors in the room. And the sessions that we had for the three days included more than 70 different speakers from all over the world, at least 60 countries and many more nationalities, a real global melting pot. The program is intended to take women on a journey of personal and business transformation, one that I was able to witness these women go through in the three plus days that we were all together. I asked Kristin how she got started on this event, bringing all these women into this space, this community. There were several things, but I had an um, early start in um, working in banking. And uh, I was in one bank, and I remember thinking, oh, so hierarchical here and quite political. And I went to another one just to discover it was very similar. Okay, it could be I was never actually born to work in a, in, in a bank. But still, I knew how to do my job. But I felt it was such um, nonsense sitting there until nine in the evening when we could finish earlier. And I didn't, I, there were things like who to sit next to during the lunch break that, you know, was based on the hierarchy and things. And I, I questioned that and actually probably didn't tolerate it very well. So I left. And then I started to cons- do some consulting work. I worked a lot in Eastern Europe. I worked in Russia. Um, and then I traveled quite a lot around the world. And at that point, I really understood that I've been extremely fortunate growing up in Norway. I could choose and almost do whatever I wanted. And I realized that was not the situation for women around the world. And then um, I came back. I used to live in Milan at the time, and I was very active in what you call the Professional Women's Association. It was a group of Italian and foreign women. And I saw there were similar groups around Europe. So I thought, like, okay, let's get them all together. And we, um, we can do a conference and talk about... One, how to make the world a better place so we can bring all women up. All those women I'd seen didn't have the same chances as I had. And two, how to make the workplace better so we can feel more inclusive or we could um, work more with trust and uh, openness and in in that way also be more efficient somehow and feel good about ourselves. And thirdly, I, I really enjoyed being with the other women. So this thing of bringing together the women was also something that gave me a lot of joy. It made me feel part of a community. I, 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 I felt alive, um, connecting, and, and also connecting not only with the women, but in this sort of thought of connecting with a future and where we could, yeah, where we could um, really transform the world <laughs> to a better place. And now, you know, so... Um, that was the three sort of main reasons in the beginning. You mentioned the future, and you had quite a few people here who were talking about where business is going, mm-hmm. looking at the future, perhaps in a way that, you know, if you're in your job, you're not going to have necessarily those conversations in the, in the widest, biggest mm-hmm. perspective, and it's very uh, motivating for the women and for them to see their place in it. So what I, what I could see from the women here was quite a few of them, I would say the majority, they're in the middle and senior management and executives. These are the very women that we want to keep in the pipeline because we talk about we don't have enough women at the top, we lose them. What way do you think you're able to 
support them in, in staying inside the system because an individual woman can't change the system and this isn't a system changing event you know you're, you're, you're offering people a vision of, of a better business but how do you think it's supporting women in maintaining a sustainable journey through yeah. the corporate ladder. yeah I think we give uh, here some sort of we can um, ignite and trigger sometimes or inspire uh, hopefully most of the time the women to connect and to understand that okay if I'm gonna do um, if I'm gonna create my career at work and impact on the business I also need to do something about myself so here we really work on you know becoming better as professionals but there is a, a big focus on inner work as well so we start every morning with awakening sessions that we call them that could be everything from yoga to dancing and um, many workshops also go um, deep um, and others are, are very practical so it's a mix and and I think the focus on actually nurturing each other as well as improving ourselves professionally that's the mix we need because I think business today, if it's only run by the head, so to speak, and, and people are not connected within themselves, it's it's more scary. So that's what we're, we are giving them. Sometimes it's just an initiation, let's say. And other times it's really just coming back and continue to confirm that that's the way forward. And it is true, many women come back and they go back to their companies afterwards and they are in minority. And I know that some of them are are realizing it's not so easy to keep up that sort of feminine way they, they get a taste of when they're here. But I'm saying at least they got a taste of it. They don't know what that could be. And that drives them sometimes. And I see also now as more and more corporate women actually come here, it means that they are realizing that there must be another way of running corporate also. And... Um, which is which is both more efficient and could be more prof- profitable, but it also considering a bigger perspective of what we are part of, both the planet and other people from around the world. I mean, I did hear women talk about how, yes, I am the only or one of very few women, and even witness some of them feel slightly uncomfortable at the beginning, and then it didn't take them long for them to enjoy the, the female company, which they're... The, I mean, I'm used to, yeah. you're used to, but not a lot of women are when they're alone in corporate and they, they would be able to make distinctions of what it's like to be in a room full of men and managing that to being with a group of women and, and it being maybe fearful at the beginning and expecting women to be bitchy. But it was a very loving environment. You use the word nurturing. And you, and it's interesting. It's, this is, I suppose, a bold name, leading the way with beauty, connection and confidence. And connection and confidence, yes, we can see that in business, but beauty. Mm-hmm. And we talked, you know, some of the speakers... Uh, talked about love in business so these are kind of new and potentially challenging words so it's it's a it's a brave choice isn't it putting (laughs) putting the word beauty in there and uh, opening women up to being in the company of other women it's interesting isn't it it's very very interesting because a lot of women are used to they got so used to the corporate model where it's all about competing and, and and sometimes competing can be fun and especially men say they like competing you know but women um with beauty also there were women who misunderstood they tell me oh beauty they were thinking i was thinking about you know dressing up well and things but say so, no it's beauty in how we walk in how we talk in how how we are that sort of beauty that we see in each other um independently let's say of, of the commercial beauty that's been um, 
that's too present today. So it's a bit, a bit about finding back to a more natural way of being. And, um, and even confidence, when I use the word here, it's also a more connected confidence. I'm thinking about like, what if we are in an environment that makes us feel so relaxed that we can really be ourselves, and then the confidence actually comes of on its own. It's nothing we need to pretend to have, we just have it. To give you some scale, we had six plenary sessions with 26 world-class speakers and an additional four breakout sessions, providing a choice of over 30 workshops with subjects including cultural intelligence, gender smartness, switching on your authentic power, beautiful thinking, becoming an influencer, a young leaders forum, leadership with soul, creating your own mission statement, an entrepreneurial forum, and a woman's leaders empowering other women in organization. Spoiled for choice is not the word, and that's just a few of the events. Now, one thing that did very much come across was the power that we women have, how different it is, and how much the world and business now needs what we can bring, and also how we are not really using it to the level that we could. I spoke with Susan Shaktery from America, who was a plenary speaker, and gave a workshop on the extraordinary power of women, being an unstoppable force. Susan has been a business and success consultant for women and the author of several books for and about women. What I spoke about, Gina, was the fact that women so often don't even recognize that they carry power. They are conditioned to think of power in terms of how men demonstrate power. But women carry a depth of wisdom and power that creates the foundation for any kind of success in business, in life, in anything. And when women realize that, they begin to wake up to that power. So I spoke to a couple of participants at the um, conference today both of whom said, I had never thought of myself as being powerful until, until you talked about it. And one of them said she began realizing that for years she had been trying to suppress her feminine nature in order to fit in in a very male-dominated work environment. And suddenly she's saying, wait a minute, why should I suppress who I am? So this is a wonderful kind of waking up. The power women carry has to do with the fact that the female brain tends to be wired to focus on connection and relationship. And so everything in life requires that we be able to connect and to create relationship, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, in, in recreational situations, we don't do these things all alone. And so knowing how to connect, knowing how to create meaningful connections and alliances with other people allows a much richer environment. Now the male brain tends to be wired to focus on gathering information and taking action. Now that's every bit as important, but information and action without the foundation of relationship and connection can be empty can be a, a, a waste of energy, but within the context of relationship and connection, magical things can happen. And that's where women must begin stepping up in new ways in order to bring the power of that uh, kind of set of gifts that we carry to the world in new and perhaps deeper and grander ways. Beautiful. So do you think that women are unconsciously using these gifts? They don't realize that they're power. 
because we do connect, don't we? We do see, when we're inside organisations, we do see that relationships are important and we, we, we value them. And now the system is saying relationships are important, <laughs> relating's key, communication. And I suppose there's an issue of us recognising that, ah, yes, that's what I do. So maybe becoming conscious of it as a power is a shift, isn't it? Absolutely. One of the things that I spoke about yesterday at the conference was that women are often told that what they bring to any situation are the softer skills. But in so many instances, the word softer really means weaker, Mm -hmm. as if what we bring is not as important, not as powerful, not as likely to be successful, not as valuable, and even sometimes not as worthy of respect. And so women as I said earlier, tend to be conditioned to think of power in terms of uh, giant business deals or being able to leap tall buildings in a single bound or very masculine power without beginning to realize, wait a minute, there is nothing weak about connecting, creating relationships and, and alliances and collaborating. There is nothing weak about compassion and empathy and nurturing we are gifted with those things naturally. We tend to recognize the importance of those with our children and perhaps in romantic relationships and close friendships. But in the work environment, we tend to have learned to think of power in terms of masculine demonstration of power. Well, you know, talking of the power of relationship, and if we don't see that, I mean, just topically at the moment, we have this situation where Hillary Clinton is the contender (laughs) presidency of America. Um, What is not, and there's terrible arguments playing off, but what's not really talked about is, or enough, is her 12 years of experience related specifically to the White House, not just in politics, and all those relationships. She doesn't come in as a newbie like... Obama did without all those connections to know people in each of the countries I would imagine it would put you at such an advantage and because we don't value relationships and connectedness we're not seeing that that's massively important that that should really put the cards in her deck but it's not it doesn't seem to be the case does it well I think it would be the case if she were male Uh, it's absolutely a huge part of her power and her qualification for that office. And those relationships and connections create, as I said a moment ago, a foundation, almost like a, like a net that holds us together, that where we can weave together the power of these relationships and create something together much more powerful, much more dynamic and productive than anything we could do alone. So recognizing that and being able to take careful and respectful advantage of it allows us to move forward in in massive ways. How do we become the unstoppable force that you talked about? That was one of the things you said. The very first thing is beginning to believe in who we are. And that means beginning to explore ourselves at a deeper and deeper level. Being able to ask ourselves, what is it? I value. Maybe I know what the men around me value. That's fine. That's fine for them. What do I value? Where do I place my priorities? What are my criteria for a meaningful life, for an enriched sort of life and experience? Recognizing who we really are, not who we've been told we should be, but who we really are. And then beginning to believe 
as a result of that, in the power we carry and the message we're here to convey to the world, the message based on the power of the feminine. And now we're going to take a quick commercial break and then I'm back introducing you to my next conversation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We know that you're looking for more. You want a more fulfilling life and don't know how to free yourself from the proverbial rut. Tune in to Wake Up and Listen with co-hosts Don Burnett and Dr. Don. With engaging discussion and some fun too, Don and Dr. Don will help you bring harmony into your life. Improve your relationships, release those fears, and get you unstuck. Wake Up and Listen can be heard live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to The Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby. We had a day devoted to the conversation about the future of work and how feminine power is more urgently expressing itself there. Many speakers spoke about the theme of it, being now our time. I had a really great conversation with Keith Coates, who talked about the qualities needed for leading in a changing world. He's the co-founder of an international consultancy called Tomorrow Today and has the interesting job title of Director of Storytelling. He's a futurist who works globally and is the author of a book called Leading in a Changing World. Everything I know about leadership I learned from the kids. Born in South Africa and now based in London, he talked about the quality that the feminine has and how women are more naturally better equipped to lead today. So it's clear we're in a time of great complexity and very fast change. And you were talking about students uh, studying for things that in, in the end they won't have a career in, um, you know, graduating as something and then leaving that. So we do need to prepare ourselves for change as, as part of a normal way of being to so that we stop using the word uncertainty and just say, well, this is the normality. And when you were talking in your presentation, you alluded to a skill set or a way of being which is, seems more feminine. So can you speak to that in a way that maybe, you know, we do need the women's leadership in these times to help us through? 
two things. One is that when you look at broadband economic errors in which leadership emerges and you can look at competitive advantage, um, this is some of Rolf Jensen's work. He talks about evolving from the hunter-gatherer era where the male of the species led because what was needed was physical strength and a sharper sense of focus. We transitioned, and of course there's a lot more to the story than I'm alluding to here, but we transitioned then into an agrarian society and leadership generally in that society went to the, the males again because they were the landowners. In many societies, women were precluded from owning land. The Industrial Revolution happened, another broadband economic context. It went to males and leadership again because it went to the educated, the factory owners. Women were often precluded from tertiary education. The first time that uh, the economic era, the backdrop if you like, started to e equalize was in the information era, talked about emerging a few decades ago and it's perhaps no surprise that the first women leaders in the corporate sector emerged in the IT sector by and large. But the emerging next economy is referred to as the connection economy or relational economy. And we believe in tomorrow today that this is going to be the first context that doesn't only not prejudice women in leadership, but favors women in leadership. Because when you look at what it's going to take to lead in the connection economy, it hinges on the ability to relate, to go with a far more instinctive feel, to be um, to have a lot of dexterity and in the skill set that is regarded as going to be the skill set needed to lead in this particular context and I'm generalizing here but women generally have a far higher intuitive sense and ability in those areas so even in the area of adaptability women have had to adapt in many cases far more so than men in society given roles given changes um, that's happened over time so Adaptability is anyone's domain, anyone can be adaptive, but if you're looking at it through a gender lens, we would believe that women have the inside track on this and understand it at an intuitive level and at a depth that the average male uh, simply doesn't get. Mm. So really, at all, we, we've got women at most levels of business, where we're missing them is at the high level, so what you're saying is organisations really now we go beyond having a quota, don't we, to have the quality that women bring as a must-have at those higher levels in order to um, move forward and survive the fast-changing business. What about, um, you, you were talking about politics, weren't you, when you talk about the leaders that we have. Do you want to speak about some of the skills that they're bringing? Because we, we see a lot more female leaders now. I wonder why that's happened recently, where we've had particularly in the UK, most parties have female leaders. In fact, the Green Party has a, a co-female leader. In fact, the fact that they have co-leaders is, I think, different. That's kind of more feminine, the sharing, taking mm -hmm. two energies. So do you want to speak about politics? Absolutely. So, you know, just before getting to, to politics per se, is that one of the biggest challenges facing business, and I guess ultimately you can apply this to the political landscape as well, is that... Um, it's an understanding that strategy is no longer the leading jab or the driver. Um, it has to be around cultural. So if you're talking about an adaptive organization, it's not a strategic response. It's, an, it's a cultural response. And when you look at what the ingredients of culture are uh, that make up the business model, I think, again, women are better equipped to, to lead in that domain. Men are really good at strategy, uh, tend to be often very competitive. It's a winner takes all. It's a focus. And because of the world in which we live, which you referred to earlier as one that is both complex and ambiguous, 
um, the, the, sometimes those kind of qualities are are not helpful, and it's the 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 more general ability that women have to multitask, to see a broader range of things, to uh, keep calm in some cases in that kind of situation. And again, I, I, I really am generalizing, but I think when you look at the political landscape and see so many women in positions of political leadership, that's not surprising. And I think it's because very often uh, they are more trusting, they are better at relationships, they are better at connecting, um, and uh, they they have less of a need to, to win in the situation. So they're willing to compromise, uh, to uh, collaborate, and these are important aspects in today's multicultural, globalized context in which we are living and leading. Mm. Um, you mentioned compromise, uh, and really that, that's, that's, that's important when you listen to what the other needs. But previously, we've seen compromising as a weakness, haven't we? And if you change your mind, it's weak. You're, you know, they use the phrase flip-flop. You, we thought you said this, and now you're saying something else. But that, we have to shift that in the culture, don't we? Because otherwise... If you stay the same and you can be relied on for that, then you're, you're failing. But you, the old model is you look like a true leader and we could rely on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we now need to rely on people to change their minds, don't we? Well, absolutely. So it, most men have come out of a, a, a finishing school, if you like, of leadership that says leaders need to have a vision, they need to be strong, they need to be in control, and they need to have answers. Our thinking is that smart leaders today are leaders who frame great questions. And again, women are just more comfortable in that, of not needing to have the answers, but are of hosting questions, of getting participants to discuss and share opinions. And this is really important in, in politics, but especially in uh, corporations today. And the days of the leader having all the answers is gone. It's just not possible. The days of the leader controlling the conversation is gone. It's not possible. So it's about influence, leadership, more mature conversations today around leadership go to leadership as influence, not authority and the ability to lead without authority. Now intuitively, when you understand and dig deeper into these kind of subjects and topics, I think women get this far more readily than the average male who has been schooled and socialized in so many different ways that that is not the way to go, but actually it is for the future. Keith just talked about women being such a good fit for leading in these times, having such an advantage over men, so schooled in old ways of leadership and the old ways of doing things. So it would seem that there is nothing holding us back. And yet, Professor Nigel Nicholson of the London Business School, author of The Eye of Leadership, Strategies for Seeing, Being and Doing, spoke about women making choices not to lead. He referred to women as hidden leaders, not wanting to step up. So I asked him why there is a reluctance for women to make that move up when they very clearly have the skills and experience to do so. So here's an interesting question. There's lots of men who want to lead and probably shouldn't. And there's lots of women who don't want to lead and probably should. Uh, That's a lovely conundrum, that, isn't it? (laughs) Tell us more. Well, you know, I think it's to do with the way we've, we've created and structured the concept of leadership within organizational structures of of particular kinds and i think a lot of these look pretty poisonous to a lot of women who have leadership capability they think well does it mean i have to forfeit my personal life does it mean i have to exercise remote authority does it mean i have to work in a rule-based 
performance driven culture that is always focusing on achievements and tasks uh, of individuals and uh, and the lack of teamwork and all these other things so you, th- you know a lot of people would look and say well you know if if the world was different of course i'd be ready to lead you know i'm a leader in my family i'm a leader in uh, my social club or something you know but but i lead in this situation probably not um so i think the fault lies in the situations and the ask that we're making of, of a lot of a lot of women and of course those very things are quite attractive to a lot of individualistic high achieving competitive men and that's why those and of course they perpetuate those structures that nurture people like them so women have leadership skills that they're exhibiting at home in the community but they're not transferring them they don't see that they can transfer them into the workplaces well it's not for me to kind of say, say what women you know believe and perceive but I do I, I could except you know the work I've done suggests that they don't really have an appetite for it and there's lots of reasons for that they just do not want to be in that corporate rat race they're happy to take responsibility because leadership is about taking responsibility with we, we, we you know we, we're too much on this control power dimension of leadership and really it's about taking responsibility for the for the welfare of an organization and then playing your part and your part might might be to to be the stand-up leader at some points but other part to be leading from the back and to be standing helping people to to organize themselves in ways that they that makes sense to them i think women are very good at that kind of flexibility without hang-ups um but then they, they look at the at the kind of unitary model that does practiced in many corporations and they say no you know i'm I'll, not not for me it's not me and then they stop and of course they stop they stop thinking of themselves in leadership terms and they think of themselves in in other terms so i think it does require a stimulus and it requires an opportunity I've noticed that myself in women's circles, women don't like the word leadership, yes. but they exhibit all the skills that we see go with the new kinds of leadership that you're talking about. Is there another? Is, is there any other word we can use? What are we? What about the vocabulary? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I mean, in, in Germany, they had to abolish the word Führer, didn't they? You know, so that, so um, I think in other cultures you might find the word leadership it doesn't have the same connotations, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, people talk about servant leadership, for example, or people talk about facilitative leadership. And there, um, I mean, I, I, for me, uh, what, uh, you know, uh, well, rose is a rose sort of thing. You know, I mean, I think it's it's like it's just a, a name, but I do believe that um, my definition of leadership is is that it's about putting yourself into a position of responsibility and that by I mean yourself what's different about you it's saying that you have a personal value proposition and a style or whatever that you bring to the role and the role is the one of having responsibility for people and resources and decisions Uh, now there's many ways of exercising that role and it might be you could call yourself chief facilitator or you could call yourself chief coordinator um, if you have an organization that is highly democratic and I think there are lots of other titles around rather than chief executive officer you know that you know that people can use. at Google they have a, a somebody who's called Jolly Good Fellow that's his <laughs> job description that's his name title so we can be creative with titles God, yes. I, I, I would hope so I mean titles shouldn't get in the way what, what really matters is 
what is the, what is a, what is the person's responsibility? I'm going to use the word leader. What's the leader's responsibility? And as I argue in my book, The Eye of Leadership, it's not about being better than other people. It's about understanding you have a special responsibility. If you are a leader, for whatever reason, you could be chosen by the role of a dice, it wouldn't matter, or in the family businesses who I often work with, the leader's there because they got they got the family name. Your job is not to prove yourself. Your job is to surround yourself by the very best people and make things happen that need to happen in that organization. And it doesn't have to be you that does everything. Your job is to is to see the needs, seeing is the key thing. Your job is, to, as I say in my book, you know, strategies for seeing, being, and doing. You need to see what needs to be done. Then you need to make whatever needs to be done to be done, so that people do the right thing, which means getting the right people and so on and making sure that thing, things happen. And you may play a small part in that. You may play a big part. You may be in partnership with others. You may be the person who is on point duty and does the main, the, the bears, bears a big responsibility. But it needs to be flexible. Leadership has to adapt to, a change, to continually changing circumstances. Um, you know, we call it adaptive leadership. Uh, and this is what it means. It means you, that you don't try to be a man or a woman for all seasons, but you are ready to, to do what's needful or to find somebody else who will do what you can't do to make sure that the right things happen for the good of the Commonwealth. And now we're going to take a quick commercial break and then I'm back introducing you to my next conversation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We know that you're looking for more. You want a more fulfilling life and don't know how to free yourself from the proverbial rut. Tune in to Wake Up and Listen with co-hosts Don Burnett and Dr. Don. With engaging discussion and some fun too, Don and Dr. Don will help you bring harmony into your life. Improve your relationships, release those fears, and get you unstuck. Wake Up and Listen can be heard live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to The Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby. 
Nigel highlighted that businesses at the top can look pretty poisonous to some women. I wanted to explore the views of legendary gender equality specialist Aviva Wittenberg-Cox. She was actually the recipient of an Inspiring Woman Award, one of three presented at the event. Aviva is the CEO of 21st, one of the world's leading gender consultancies. Based in London, she works with progressive global companies interested in gender balancing their leadership teams and optimizing not only 100% of the talent pool, but also 100% of the market. She is co-author of the book, Why Women Mean Business. I asked her to reflect on how the system has been created to support men and how this is shifting and changing. Well, I think it's just a question of the systems were designed in companies. A lot of them are inspired by 20th century modes of life and people and work. Um, And I think that where we come from is a a model of work which is already a little bit obsolete, you know, that you start at 20, you work really, really hard and then retire at 60 um, or 65 as the case may be, is no longer really quite true, certainly never fit very well to women's career cycles and increasingly doesn't suit most men either and certainly not most young anybody Mm. who are really calling the model into question. So women who are inside of that model struggle with it for quite a number of years, don't quite understand why or succeed by adapting to it, um, sometimes reluctantly, sometimes willingly. And I think now there's just you know such a mass of people no longer willing to adapt or being very vocal about it. So, no longer being fit for purpose. And as companies try and flexibilize, which I think parts of companies are trying to do, um, it's not necessarily embedded enough or permitted enough in the culture, the, the real culture of the organization. What does it really take to succeed? What is it really, who really gets promoted and why? In a lot of organizations, while they talk flexibility, uh, the reality is it's still that one sort of profile that keeps getting into leadership and power who then imposes that model for another generation. How do we break through? How do we make that change to this uh, moving away from this rigidity and these old ways and flex up to the 21st century working? How do we, what can a company do? Well, I think, again, I think there's a lot of pretty good intentions. So what I find is very often at the top, leaders are quite interested in this flexibility. They want flexibility. Um, And they do sort of encourage it or write it into systems or get some of their HR teams to say we now will have visibility. Um, I think what they don't do is spend enough time role modeling it themselves. They think it's something that they can sort of tell others to allow. Uh, They don't realize how much people imitate, um, emulate, or think they have to emulate the current leadership behaviors. And so it's really usually a question of leaders really deciding intentionally what are they looking for as a culture, realizing that they themselves are the ones who will have to show the way um, and do it themselves first. So on issues of career flexibility, you know, until it's really true that, you know, an executive team is made up of 
all different kinds of people who've had different kinds of experience in different parts of the company with very different leadership styles, um, rather than all having one nationality of one gender who happened to go through one core function, which is often a bit more typical, um, is, is largely just a choice, right? It's a leadership choice and it's a leadership skill. You can imagine that at a conference like this, as in most work situations, there's a lot of talking. So I love the presentation given by Kautor Darmoni, Assistant Professor of Gender and Media, working in Amsterdam, but from Tunisia. She shared insights from her Arabic culture, where as a young girl, she noticed how women could be so powerful and beautiful at home, and yet invisible and submissive in the public space. Since arriving in France to study from her native country, she was disappointed in Western feminism, which achieved great things but disassociated women from the power of their femininity and the wisdom of their feminine body, making women believe that they must compete with men with their brain in a gender-neutral way. Her message was one about using our physicality, getting out of our heads and into our bodies. I asked her why it's important for women to do that. Because I think, anyway, whether it's for women or for men, uh, it's very important that we have the connection between the mind and the body. But we have been, especially in Western culture, so much trained into functioning only from the body, stepping back to René Descartes and uh, in the Age of Enlightenment. Je pense, donc je suis. I think, therefore I am. So literally, I am my brain, which is such a limitation because the body also has wisdom. The body is also giving information. When we are doing business and dealing with each other, our body is telling us all the time, like, this feels good, this does not feel good, this is going the right direction, this is going to the wrong direction. But we learn to ignore the signals, and then we only focus on the brain, rational part. <clears throat> And in this situation, I think women, uh, women and men, we have been trained this way, but for women, this is more difficult simply because the, we are more connected with the emotions, with the body. Women, we are brought to the body regularly, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. We are more in touch with it. So it's very, so in that sense, if we need to bring this change of alignment between the body and the brain, it's easier to show the way, women here have to show the way to men, have to show to the men, I can be in my brain and I can be in my body and I can still function, I can still make profit, I'm still focused and I'm still leading. We, you don't have to be afraid of the body and this is the message that women have to bring so the feminine qualities the feminine touch that men and women both need to bring to the earth it's also has its also its roots into the body and especially when I talk about the feminine body I'm talking about one specific area of the body which is the belly that area where the intuition is where the emotions are where the hands the guts are that area has to be activated and when we are having this connection then we can thrive in a natural way it's very important it's not it's not a just like a kind of new age nice idea we have to go to the body this is the missing part now yesterday you had the whole room about several hundred of us yes. moving our bellies and yes. moving our breasts yes. even the men which is fantastic <laughs> because we're sitting there listening to information it was just perfect yes. and I think one of the points you made which would be great for you to speak to is how you know society has sexualized the woman's body and it's taken away our freedom to move hasn't it yes you know I always saw it as a, as a, as a, as a 
disaster actually that I grew up in Arab Muslim culture where men and women are all the time separate, like the sexual segregation, which I saw seeing the advantages of it when I started living in the West. But when I was there, I was like very, um, I was, I felt very oppressed by it because we could never have a normal, healthy contact with the men and they could never learn how to deal with us in a normal way. When I moved to the West, I start seeing the advantage of the Arab Muslim culture because of the strict separation we have a lot of exclusive spaces with women alone first of all with women from all ages so we are dancing and enjoying the body and it's from birth until death we see women we have this culture of the hammam Turkish bath, which is completely closed. In this culture, as a little girl, already you see the evolution of the female body through the ages. You see body young, you see body which is old, you see body which is fat, you see body which has cellulite, body which is thin. It doesn't matter. It's all bodies. And these bodies, they are alive. They are enjoying themselves. So we don't First of all, we don't learn to judge the female body according to this beauty myth, which is disaster in Western culture, there is no such beauty myth. There is just beauty. All women are beautiful. And the second thing which is very important, the female body is not sexualized because like we are dancing and we are having fun and our breasts are shaking and our uh, butts are shaking, but we are we are enjoying our bodies. There is no sexual connotation to it. I remember when I started, like, uh, when I started living in the West, I had one of my best friends, and I was telling her all the time, why don't you come to the hammam with me, to the Turkish place? And every time she says, like, no, I cannot, I cannot. And after one year and a half, I said, like, come on, why? And she says to me, because I'm too fat. And I remember my answer was, but I'm not a man. I would never look at you like this. I would never look at a woman. We don't look at women like this. So what happened in Western society, which is very sad, we internalized this male gaze on the female body. A male gaze which is also has been completely distorted by the culture of pornification. Because porno industry is not anymore porno. Porno is everywhere now. It's a culture of pornification, which means it completely dissociates the women from her real reality and all this Photoshop and all these things. So the body is important not not only to desexualize it but also to depornify it also and in these spaces in my culture where i come from where we are completely amongst women we have this we have this pure way of celebrating the female body in its most purest beautiful form as it is mm. in a nutshell <laughs> we already yes. said we could talk for hours um in a nutshell um, just explain about how a woman might use she might use her body in the in a business context because you referred to that yes. because we're, we're in dialogue with men but we're not using our bodies yes I mean it's it's difficult because to talk about it because it's usually something that we have to feel you know how <laughs> oh, it's very visual yes yes, <laughs> we're, yes. we're talking in yes. the media, but. but the most important is like once we desexualize this female body and then we get in touch with that female feminine body that feminine body is giving us information all the time so that fem- feminine body also use it when to feel use it to move use it to protest like for example I saw my grandmother she grew up in a harem and I was very impressed as a little girl like there would be all these men of the tribe very patriarchal macho men and at a certain point she would say like this is won't happen very quiet and then she rises with her breasts it's like Whoa! she goes like this and all these men they go like Whoo! 
and they come down. And then for me, I was, as a little girl, I was like, wow, this works. It's really like, but women, we don't dare to use our breasts because we think it's sexual. But men, they use it very well because men, when they want to do their macho behavior, they rise with their chest. But women should do the same as well. It's a natural expression. Um, my grandmother, she always, like when she was really, she wanted to put a boundary, she would kick with her pelvis and she was, and this we don't do. We don't do this. And so with the pelvis, and then you see this primal power, this energy coming from the pelvis and saying, this is and not further. And this is what I mean, it's energy. The female body is full of energy, it's full of energetic expression. And we need to tap into that power, into this knowledge, into this wisdom. And finally, our last conversation today is whether another award winner, Dita Sandico from the Philippines, has been working for 31 years as an eco-sustainable fashion designer. Her business is involved with local communities to provide to promote sustainable livelihood projects. She's mastered the use of indigenous and eco-friendly fabrics such as banana rayon, and I bought a beautiful jacket made from a banana leaf fiber, which I will model for you if you want to go to the Facebook page. I'll put a picture of it of me there. I was interested to speak with Dita because she's an attendee who's been coming to the conference for many years and I was curious to know how this event has sustained her. The moment I stepped into win, the first conference I did, I just felt that there was like a, a, a film of, like I, there was a veil of mystery unveiling. And I sort of somehow connected with all these women they embraced me. They were able to accept me for what I was. So in a way, I learned about authenticity. I just had to be myself and play the role of being a pioneering woman, uh, being able to show my craft, which was what I was good at. I mean, I design clothes, I design accessories, all these things that make women beautiful. So indeed, it paved a way to getting out into the international scene, the global market, and somehow the, the courage to really stand up. Because a lot of things that I do are totally different from the normal things. And it takes a lot of strength inside and so that you can push forward outside. And this whole thing about holistic awareness and this love for life and... Uh, just seeing the beauty of being having the feminine touch inside of you makes a lot of difference. And this I learned from when. And of course, it's about dreaming. It's about being able to dream and see a vision. So this is what the dream women, uh, the when women has afforded me and has given me the light to, to just keep going on. Kautor actually led the body-mind awakening sessions in the morning where she encouraged us to move our legs, connect with our pelvis and shake our breasts, reminding us of the physical power that we have and the wisdom held in our bodies that's so accessible to us. Being a woman, she said, is a serious business and how true that is. It's clear from our conversations here today on this show. I think we've run out of time now, so I'm going to see you next week with more interviews from Rome. Thank you for listening. Remember to visit us on the Facebook page, Rise of the Feminine Radio. I'm going to play you out now with a song from Stephanie Frati Pretro and Luca Notari from the event. I think you'll love this.
We hope that you've enjoyed the program this week. Be sure to tune in to The Rise of the Feminine with Gina Lazenby every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Women's Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericawomen.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.